0: Please turn them in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. Letter of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus. Paul wrote this while he was under house arrest in Rome, and he wrote it to lay a solid doctrinal foundation for these believers so they could then live out those doctrines for the glory of God. So, what then is the call now that you're saved and now that you've been made new? The call is this to live like a beloved child of God more and more because this is who you now are. Right? Paul has been very practical of what this should look like in the true believer, and he's also been very challenging. But because we love God so very much, This is what we pursue until we finally arrive in glory. Can't wait for that day. But until then, this is what we pursue. So please, don't be deceived into thinking that how you live your life as a Christian doesn't matter because it matters greatly. Because when God saves you, he also changes you. And while no one here will be perfect this side of heaven, and while we all struggle with sin and battle against sin, and we're going to do that until the day we die, look, Our aim is clear, our direction is clear, our love is clear, our lifestyle is clear, Christ and His glory, and to have no change in direction, aim, life, or love, that then is proof that you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, as Paul says. So we struggle and we battle against sin and against everything that would hinder us in our grand quest to honor and glorify this most amazing God whom we love. Paul continues his thought in verse 8. Let's look. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. We'll stop here for now, and here in today's passage, we see four truths that Paul wants the Ephesians and us to understand. First, you, as a Christian, are light in the Lord. How good is that? as opposed to darkness, right? You were once darkness, yes, but that's not who you are anymore. No, now as a Christian, you are light in the Lord. You see what Paul's doing here? He's telling us why we can't partake with the sons of disobedience who revel in their sin, and even better, he's telling us why we must follow the example of Christ and walk in love, why we must walk in a fitting way as God's dearly loved children. Why? Because you're light in the Lord. And light's in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Of course we do, because this is who we are. <clears throat> this isn't a new message, because in 2.1, Paul said that while we were once dead in our sins, look, he made us alive. And that truth changes everything about us. And then in four one, Paul said to walk worthy of our calling, to which you were called. And then in 417, Paul said to no longer walk like the unsaved Gentiles walk because we have been made new in Christ. And that great truth affects how we live because new people in Christ, we love Christ. Right? And love compels them us to show it in our daily lives more and more and more. So Paul's reminding us again that Christians are called to live like Christians. <laughs> Clearly, and tangibly, because now you're light in the Lord. Now look, First John 5, 7 tells us that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Talking about the nature of God, the essence of God, that He is light as opposed to darkness. Not physical light, but it's talking about who God is, ethically and morally, light. See, God Himself is uncreated light. God dwells in the splendor, glory, and brilliance of light. Wherever he is, the splendor, glory, and brilliance of light shines forth out of his being. In fact, there is no need for the sun when God's glory is present, Revelation 21. Instead, the glory of his presence just beams forth the most brilliant light imaginable, the Shekinah glory of God, so brilliant and glorious that it would consume all of us. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God lives in unapproachable light. Job speaks of heaven as the abode of light. Job 38, 19. Psalm 104, 2 says that God wraps himself with light as with a garment. Several verses affirm that the Lord turns my darkness into light. Psalm 27, 1 says that God is my light and he's my salvation. The New Testament reveals that light is a name for Jesus. The light shines forth in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it, John 1, 5. God is light, and that's who God is in his nature. Theologians believe that this refers to two primary qualities about God. First is truth, and second is holiness or purity. So you have illumination and purification, or truth, and you have holiness And it's these two qualities that jump out at us when we think about God as light. So when it says that God is light, it means that God is the source and measure of everything that's true. Another way to put it, nothing is truly understood until it is understood in the light of God. See, He is the source of all that's true, and whatever is true is true because it conforms to Him. He is truth, and apart from Him, you get lost Because he alone lights, truly lights our way. The term God is light also reveals God's absolute holiness and purity. In him is no darkness at all. In scripture, darkness stands for sin, evil, death, and wickedness. So light means truth, holiness, true goodness, and purity. See, in God is absolute truth. And in God is absolute moral perfection and holiness. No darkness, no evil, no sin in God, no, not ever. He is entirely set apart from the common and from the profane. God alone is unique, distinct, and worthy of all our worship and of all our adoration because He alone is without rival. He stands apart. He's perfect. He is absolutely separate from all sin. And his character is one of flawless moral perfection. See, God always does what is right. God never, ever does wrong. No, never. He is light. He alone. So what then does it mean when Paul says that you, the believer, the Christian, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And note that it doesn't say you were once in darkness, but you were darkness. Think about that. In him is no darkness, but but you, you were darkness. Wow, I mean, that says a mouthful. Who's the prince of darkness? Satan. So clearly, darkness is describing who we were and who we belonged to before we were saved. Darkness. It's talking about a life without God, a saving relationship with God, a life without the hope of spiritual cleansing and true forgiveness of all your sin, a life uh, without the hope of heaven, a life of emptiness and futility, uh, a meaningless life, a purposeless life, a a sad life, a a wasted life, a, a life based on a lie, a life that ends with eternity in hell. That's who and where we once were, apart from saving faith in Christ, but not anymore. Anybody? Amen. If, in fact, we have surrendered to Christ in repentant faith, Because Christ changes everything. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He makes us who were once spiritually dead, spiritually alive. And now we who believe, we are light in the Lord. Isn't that incredible? How is that possible? It's possible by grace through faith in Christ, right? Because of what he did on the cross for everyone who believes on him. Jesus is God the Son, And he left heaven and he came here and he took on human flesh, 100% God and 100% man at the same time. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in the believer's place. And three days later, he rose up from the dead. And that absolutely changes everything. And look, for all who believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ in repentant faith, Our sins that condemn us to hell and eternal wrath are put onto him which he took and paid for in full on the cross in our place as believers, as our substitute, and then his perfect life is credited to us, which allows rebels like us to be justified, cleansed, forgiven of all our sin, and perfectly fitted with the righteousness of Christ, which allows us access to God and to the eternal glories of heaven, all because of Christ. And now for all who believe, for all who repent and turn away from sin and from that old life and who turn to God in true faith, what? Result? Heaven. Forever. Eternal glory. Moving from darkness to light. From being a child of Satan, whether you realize that or not, to a child of God. From going to hell to going to heaven forever with God and his people. Some theologians call this the divine transfer. <clears throat> and oh, what a great transfer it is. What do you, why do you think Paul repeatedly reminds the Ephesians who they once were? Because he does it all the time. Why? Because remembering who you once were apart from Christ and his glorious salvation, that should serve to motivate you to now live up to who you truly are, light in the Lord. Darkness describes Satan, light describes God and salvation. And look, we who believe, we've moved from darkness to light. What does that mean? It means that he saved me, Uh, one who was once blinded by sin. It means that he came to me in the darkness and, and he turned the light on. Not only that, but he who is light now resides in me. God the Spirit lives in me and he enlightens me and he helps me to now see truth that I was blinded to before. He awakened me and he gave me spiritual life. And now because of him in me, I can understand and comprehend his truth and I can walk the way that he wants me to walk more and more and more. And and I want to do that when I couldn't care less to do that before because he changes everything. He makes all things new. I'm not in the darkness anymore. No, I am light in the Lord. And so are you as a Christian because of him in us. And that's true for all of us who are truly saved. That leads to the second truth from this passage, <clears throat> that because we are light in the Lord, we must walk as children of light. Hello. I mean, doesn't that make perfect sense right there? I mean, that the, this is who you now are. Therefore, live like it. Of course, that makes sense. Oh, please, please. Don't be a contradiction (laughs) because a Christian contradiction does nobody any good whatsoever, including you. Think about it. We now belong to God. We are his beloved children. We've been set free from sin, hell, and wrath, and death. And God is now our father, not Satan. The old is dead, and we now have new life in Christ. We are now in him, and he is in us. We have moved from darkness to light, and our call now is to live like it, like children of light, like children of God. That makes perfect sense. So, why would we ever want to go back to the darkness? Why would we ever want to go back to the dirtiness, the the stain, the stench, the filth of what we once were? No, no, we should despise the thought of that. Reminds me of what James says in James 1, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Same thought as walk as children of light. Same idea. Now that you're saved and you're in the light, live like it. Don't just say it, but do it and prove who and whose you truly are. See, Christians do. Christians do. We live it out. We bear fruit. We love the Lord. And because of the Lord, we live it out because this pleases the Lord whom we love. 1 John 2, 3 says that, By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Note that it doesn't say that we're saved by keeping the commandments. No, no, no. Or by doing. It doesn't say that. We're not saved by doing that. Biblically, we are saved by faith alone. However, genuine saving faith bears forth the fruit of obedience to the commands of God. In other words, if you truly know God and love God and are in the light of God, then it results in a change of heart, of life, and of direction. First John, John 14, 15 says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will, say you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. Christians are doers of the word, not perfectly, but faithfully. Why? Because he changes everything. Think about it. Can there be a greater change than moving from darkness to light, <laughs> of being dead to being made alive? That's what happens to a truly saved soul, and doing or walking as children of light is a natural result. See, it's who you now are, so it's what you now do more and more and more. The Bible uses many terms to describe what Christians should be about. Steadfast, persevering, abounding, enduring, overcoming, continuing, fervent, immovable, diligent, eager, focused, pressing on, committed, hardworking, faithful, on and on it goes. And again, this doing, this walking doesn't save us. Jesus saves us by grace through faith alone. However, doing and walking as children of light proves who and whose we truly are. So I guess the question is, are you clear or are you a contradiction? In verse 9, Paul shows us what children of light look like and what they live like. And This should be our reality more and more. Look what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So look, the children of light are the children of God, the the saved ones, Christians. we're, We're true believers, those who have God's Spirit indwelling us. And who's the Spirit who's mentioned here? The fruit of the Spirit. Who's the Spirit here? It's clearly God the Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity. Side note. Some translations say the fruit of light instead of the fruit of the Spirit. Regardless, the fruit of light is indeed the fruit of the Spirit because the only way we can walk in the light and bear any kind of good fruit is if God the Spirit is doing it in us and through us. So let's look at that for just a second. Look, we worship according to the Bible, one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as the Bible is clear that the Father is God, and just as the Bible is clear that the Son, Jesus, is God, so too is the Bible clear that the Spirit is God. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, it says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. So Spirit, Lord, and God are used synonymously because they can be one God in three distinct persons. In Matthew twenty eight, nineteen through twenty it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God. What's it say? The Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, talking about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In second Corinthians thirteen, fourteen it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Once again, These terms are used synonymously because they can be three in one, Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. So, again, the Spirit is God, and He's not a force. He's not an it. He's a person. He is God Himself who resides in every believer, and we should love Him because He's doing a great work even now for us on our behalf. He's a distinctive person of the Godhead, who is worthy of our worship, of our love, and of our praise. What does he do? Well, he does many things, but primarily, he resides in every Christian as their divine helper until glory. In Acts eight, Jesus tells the disciples that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And that's what the Spirit gives to believers. Himself, who lives in us, and his power. Dunamis in the Greek, from which we get the English word dynamite, talking about divine power. Power. Power to what? Power to live for the glory of God. Power to honor God. Power to witness for God. To fight sin. To be bold. To be strong. And to arrive safely home. That kind of power. See, we are powerless in and of ourselves to do anything good for God. But the spirit in us is the fire that ignites us and gives us the power for effective ministry, for overcoming, for enduring to the end, and for honoring Christ with our fading lives. So, he lives in us to empower us and to help us until glory. How do we know that we have the Spirit living in us? Some say that speaking in tongues is the proof that the Spirit of God is indwelling you. But speaking in tongues was a gift for the early church and not for everyone. And when the apostles died off and the Word of God was completed, tongues ceased along with some of the other sign gifts that were associated with the apostles. So again, how do we know then that we have the Spirit in us? What's the proof? What's the fruit? Love. Right? Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, the proof that the Spirit of God is truly living in you and working in you and thriving in you is love. What else? Joy. Joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we see a Christian growing in these areas, and we're seeing the reality of the Spirit working in his or her life. See, the Spirit is very practical. His goal isn't to make you emotional. No, that's not his goal, even though the Christian life is very emotional. His goal is to make you godly, and to help you be molded into a man or woman of God, who honors him, and who is best prepared for glory. And he's content to do that in your life, in the background, helping you along day by day by day. Look what Paul says in verse 9. The children of light have the Spirit indwelling them. And the fruit of the Spirit is summarized by goodness, righteousness, and truth. And these are the qualities of those who are walking as Spirit-filled children of light. And these are the things that should be marking our lives as Christians in growing measure. So let's look at those. Goodness. Goodness refers to moral or spiritual excellence that comes from God and that reflects the character of God. See, God is good, and we are called to be like Him as children of light. So when we speak of goodness, we're speaking of godly character. We speak of actions in our lives that reflect the Lord's morality and His integrity. The opposite of that which is good is that which is bad, that which is ungodly, that which is evil, that which is dark, that which is worldly, because the world mimics its master, the devil. So we in Christ are called to stand against that darkness and to reflect the goodness of God in our lives. Moral, we're moral, we're upright, godly, faithful, truthful, Christ-like. Does that describe you? See, goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, and it should be clearly seen in us as Christians. This is how children of light walk. Second is righteousness. Righteousness means rightness of character before God and man. It describes a behavior that's acceptable to God and that's in keeping with what God is in His holy character. So righteousness is godliness, integrity, moral straightness, that which conforms to the will and character of God. We are not righteous in and of ourselves but God declares us righteous by grace through faith in Christ. He justifies us. And now as Christians who have got the spirit in us, we have moved from darkness to light and we are now called to live righteous and right lives more and more for the glory of God. And we can indeed bear this kind of fruit because again, this is who we now are. He saved us. He enlightened us. He gives us His Spirit. He gives us His Word and prayer and each other. And we're called to use these great means to grow in the faith and to live righteous and godly lives in growing measure because, again, this is who we now are. So, children of God, live like children of God. Is is that fairly obvious, right? Integrity, morality, fighting sin, battling darkness, right lives, Living right lives that reflect the character of Christ. Is that true of you? This is how children of light walk. The third thing he mentioned is truth. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and being of God. God is truth. Jesus, God, the Son, is the truth incarnate. And His Word, the Bible, is the truth written down because it comes from God who is truth. See, ultimate truth is an objective reality. It exists outside of us, and it remains the same regardless of how we feel and regardless of how we perceive it. See, it's fixed, and it isn't up to us and to our own arbitrary interpretation of reality or our own feelings. No, the truth is found in a person, Jesus, and in a book, the Bible, and we are called to be truthful people, to speak the truth and to live the truth. Satan's a father of lies, and as children of light, we are people of truth. So what do we do? Well, we speak the truth, right? We speak the truth in love. Practically, we are people of our word. We maintain integrity in all we say and in all we do. That's the call. And because we walk in the light, we are people of truth, and we don't have anything to hide. See, we're not hypocrites. We're true. What you see is what you get. We're, we're not living lies because we know that we can't fool God anyhow and God's the one that really matters. So because God is truth and His Word is truth, we too are people who live, love, speak, and believe the truth even though it may be unpopular. That's how children of light walk. The third truth to note from this passage is this. To find out what is acceptable to the Lord, verse 10. Find out means to test, to prove, to verify and to discern. It speaks of critically examining something to determine its genuineness. Here, we are called to critically examine and test and verify that which is acceptable to the Lord. In other words, we are to take this very, very seriously because this, the walk of faith, is serious business, (laughs) Acceptable speaks of something that's well-approved and extraordinarily pleasing. The word means that which causes someone to be pleased. Who are we talking about? God. So the call here is to dig deep and to find out what pleases God, and then, of course, to do that thing. That goes to heart, doesn't it? We love Him, so we want to please Him. We love Him greatly, so we search intently to find out that which pleases Him so that we can then please Him. In 2 Corinthians 5, one, Paul writes, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. And that's, that's right, that in light of who He is and, and what He's so graciously done for us, moved us from darkness to light and given us hope and peace and joy and purpose and a reason to live and, and the glories of heaven and everything else. What? We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. Right? Makes sense? Or as Paul says here, we search intently To find out what it is that's well-pleasing and acceptable to him so we can then live it out because, again, that's the way of love. Look, the Christian's aim, our goal, our ambition, our focus should be intently on pleasing him. And that's a good summary statement of what the Christian life ought to be about, pleasing him. Intently finding that out and then doing it because pleasing him is our greatest joy because this... We love him and look at what he's done for undeserving rebels like us. Isn't that true? If if you love someone, you do what you can to make them happy. That's what love does, right? That's why we're called to find out what pleases God. And note that it's not rocket science because Paul's already told us right walking as children of light pleases god being good righteous and truthful pleases god imitating christ and walking in love pleases god <clears throat> battling sin and pursuing holiness pleases god putting on the new man day by day by day and putting off the old man and the things that are associated with that old life of sin that pleases god walking worthy serving and using our gifts to bless the body of christ speaking words that edify and give grace and so on all these things please god again it's not rocket science And the call here is to continually be pondering these things that are acceptable and well-pleasing to God so that we can then live those things out more and more and more in our lives. We're not flipping about it. We take this seriously. So our thoughts are on Him, and they're on the things that honor Him and not on the deeds of darkness. Remember the old story of the swan and the crane? One day, this beautiful swan landed by the banks of the water in which a crane was waiting in the water looking for snails. For a few moments, the crane viewed the swan in amazed wonder, and he said, where do you come from? I come from heaven, replied the swan. Where's heaven? Asked the crane. Heaven, said the swan. Heaven, have you never heard of heaven? And the beautiful bird went on to describe the grandeur of heaven, of the joy and the peace and the beauty, not only of heaven, but also of the immediate and wondrous presence of the Lord God Almighty himself. In eloquent terms, the swan sought to describe the eternal city, but without arousing the slightest interest on the part of the indifferent crane. Finally, the crane asked, are there any snails there in heaven? Snails? Snails, replied the swan. No, there are no snails in heaven. Amen. (laughs) Then said the crane as it continued its search along the slimy banks of the water, you can have your heaven. I want my snails. And many today are like that crane. (laughs) They're more interested in snails than in the eternal things of God and the things that please God and the things that last forever. And so sadly... So many today are collecting snails when they could be pleasing God. What are they thinking? You have a God that you can glorify and you're wasting your life away collecting snails, really. You can please the Lord God Almighty with your life, that's an amazing thought, and yet you're embracing sin. The sin that dishonors Him and that hurts you, really? That's snails. You can magnify the God of all creation and bring pleasure by the way that you live. That's an amazing thought. And yet you indulge that sin that just stinks you up spiritually and waste your life away on things that rot and burn. Really? That's snails. But the snails aren't worth it. And they'll make you sick. And they'll keep you from the God-pleasing life. Lord, help us to see that only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Lord, help us to see that the time is short and time is precious and the God-pleasing life is indeed the best life that there is both now and into eternity and you will never, ever regret pleasing God. Never. So, find out what pleases Him constantly and then do it. It's worth it. Worth it. The fourth truth to note from this passage is this: to have no fellowship with the works of darkness, but to expose them. Verse eleven: Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, "Awake, you who sleep; arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light." What a great truth for all of us. Sound familiar? I mean, Paul, Paul said a similar thing in the previous passage, verse 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. Why does he say it here yet again? Why do you think? Because it's so vitally important, right? Sin, see, sin rubs off. And we are called to protect our spiritual life and to guard it as something precious instead of treating it flippantly like so many do around us. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, none. It's interesting because while partaking in something and fellowship with the fellowshipping with something are very similar, there also is a difference. Partaker in verse 7 means that you join in with somebody and you do what they do, which is a sinful deed. You weren't careful. You you let your spiritual guard down. You thought you were stronger than you were and you messed up. So you had a weak moment. You joined with that person and you sinned. That's not good, but you did it. But here in verse 11, when Paul says, have no fellowship with them, he takes it a step further. It means to share in common with. So in the first situation, you're partaking of a sinful deed, but in the other, it goes further and you're beginning to absorb within you the very attitudes of the people that are around you, the sinful, dark people around you. So not only are you sinfully partaking of the deeds, but you are sharing things in common with people who wear the garments of darkness, and that's really not good. So Paul gives the warning to not do that, not ever. Why not? Because that's not who we are. No, we wear a garment of light. So we need to protect ourselves spiritually speaking, we need to make sure about the company that we keep and the things that we watch and the things that we listen to and the people we hang out with and so on, that those things don't ever cause us to put on the garment of darkness back on and to walk as children of darkness rather than as children of light. Take heed to yourself because it's not worth it. Putting that garment on, back on, It is never worth it. Take heed. Look, our call is to be like a boat. A boat's purpose is fulfilled when it's in the water, but its function and usefulness deteriorates when water gets in the boat. So too for the Christian, when too much of the world gets into us. So again, take heed. Please remember that this doesn't mean that we can't work with non-Christians, that we can't go to school with non-Christians, that we spurn our family members who aren't Christians, that we have to shut ourselves off from the rest of society. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we carefully guard ourselves so that our godliness isn't ever compromised by the dark company that we keep. So, Choose your friends carefully. Guard what you hear. Be careful who you hang out with and who you spend your time with because as we've said before, the tendency is for them to rub off on you more than you rub off onto them. The tendency is to go downhill, not up. So be careful and remember that not only are you to have no fellowship with the deeds of darkness, but you are to expose them, Paul says. That takes it a step further, doesn't it? Hey, don't be ashamed of Christ. Okay, for now is our opportunity to shine. Now is our opportunity to have an impact. This world is in darkness, right? Deep, intense darkness. This world is dominated by the prince of darkness. And sadly, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And the blackness of our day is extensive. But look, here we are. And we are light in the Lord. Amen? And our call is to shine. And we shine when we glorify and please Christ and show the world what he's like. And please note that it's not a bad thing when we walk into a room and the people say, ah, the light, it's hurting my eyes. Turn it off. That's a good thing. Because we're doing what God calls us to do in the blackness of this lost, dying, and dark world. So don't be ashamed of shining the light of Christ to those around you. No, don't be ashamed. Be bold. Many will hate you if you're exposing their sin by your Christ-like life. That goes with the territory. But God will always be glorified when you shine. And good news, some will be saved and impacted because of that. And so you're going to find that as you live for the glory of God and as you shine, people will be acutely aware of their own sin and of their own darkness because of Christ in you flowing out of you, and that's good. May we here be bright lights that hurts the eyes of those in darkness around us for the glory of God. Look at Paul adds in verse 12, it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. That takes it back to what Paul said in 5.3. Let it, those deeds of darkness, not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Shameful means dishonorable, disgraceful, and unacceptable. The idea here is that the deeds of darkness, those things that once ruled our lives that now mark the unsaved world, they should be dreaded and they should be detested by us in Christ, not embraced and not coddled. See, These deeds of darkness aren't to be mentioned, much less permitted. No, just stay far away from them. Flee them, hate them, have nothing to do with them. Look, there's a lot of wretched and dirty sin to go around in our world. And I'm positive that there are things done in secret that would sicken all of us to the core. And those things aren't good for us to even mention because all they're going to do is defile us. Well, I don't think the warning here is to not speak of certain sins that the world glories in. I think, that's part of it, but I think the real warning here is to have nothing to do with any sin. As much as you can for the glory of God. To not only not do that sin, but don't even talk of it. So it's not only not in our lives, but it's not even in our heart or even on our lips. So the warning is to not give any foothold to any kind of sin in your life, any kind of sin, because small sins grow, and they grow quickly, seemingly small sins. One noted, some things are so vile that they should be discussed as little as possible, because even describing them is morally and spiritually dangerous. Some diseases, chemicals, and nuclear byproducts are so extremely deadly that even the most highly trained and best protected technicians and scientists who work with them are in constant danger. No sensible person would work around such things carelessly or haphazardly. In the same way, some things are so spiritually disgraceful and dangerous that they should be sealed off, not only from direct contact, but even from conversation. They should be expressed or exposed only to warn others against them. And that's right. But I think this is true, not only of certain sins, most certainly, but also of every sin. We should feel this way. Toward every sin. Right? I mean, biblically, every sin should be treated this way. Run. Flee it. Flee all of it. Everyone is out to destroy us. Everyone is shameful. And every one of them should be disgusted and detestable to us lights in the Lord. Sin is darkness. We are light. See? All sin. All right. Look. Look what Paul adds in verse 13. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. So look. All will be exposed by the light. What does that mean? There are two thoughts. Both of them are true. The first thought is this, that this phrase simply means that the light of Christ makes everything visible. It shows things to be as they actually are. So when sin is revealed, it loses its hiddenness and it's seen for the ugliness that it truly is. So as we shine the light of Christ through us, then sin is exposed and the lies of people in the dark tell themse- that, that people in the dark tell themselves are revealed and they simply can't lie to themselves about themselves because of Christ in us, because he has exposed them. That's true. You, you live the Christian life, you shine the light of Christ, people are going to see their own sin more clearly. That's the way it works. The other thought to this phrase is this, that it's possible for light to turn the things it shines upon into light also. This is really good. That when Christians exercise their ministry as light, that others are then brought to the light. That wicked men are transformed into children of light through the reproving ministry of light. Now, that's not a rule without exception, of course, because clearly not everyone who is exposed to the light of Christ becomes a Christian, but it's true sometimes right? And as one said, light has a way of reproducing itself. So light not only exposes, but also transforms. And that's true also, right? I love that. We can make a difference when we shine the light of Christ to those around us. Yes, we can. So shine the light, walk as children of light, and that will have an impact. And it may even be the means of seeing someone in darkness, Come to the light of Christ in saving faith. And how good is that? That's the ultimate, isn't it? Either way, when you're truly walking as a child of light, it'll have an impact on the darkness because it has to. Light comes on, what happens to the darkness? It flees. Lord, help us to make manifest to people who and what they truly are as we shine the light of Christ everywhere to those around us. And may God use us as the means of bringing many souls to glory. I say, please, Lord, do it. Lord, do it. Finally, Paul says to wake up, verse 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Question, is this written for non-Christians or is this a warning for Christians? It seems that this is written for non-Christians. And it seems that this is a call to salvation. So it seems that here, Paul is citing an early Christian hymn that was based on Isaiah 60, verse 1, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. What a great verse. This pictures the exposure of an unbeliever to the light of Christ with a view to his salvation. He's asleep and even more, he's dead. But look, God calls him to awake and to arise, <coughs> resulting in the light of Christ shining upon him. He say, but they're dead. They can't do anything. True, but God can do it. God can do it. Just as when Jesus called out Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. How did he, Lazarus come forth? He was dead. Because God did it. So we're called to shine the light of Christ to everyone around us. And we're called to tell people wake up, surrender to Christ, repent and believe and be saved from the wrath to come. And good news some will. And as we do our part, God does his part very well in regenerating dead spiritual corpses. Thank you very much. He does that very well, just as he did for all of us in Christ today. So we trust God with that. And we shine the light and we call dead, lost sinners to wake up, to come to faith in Christ and to be saved from the wrath to come. And some will. Praise the Lord. Some will. Don't give up hope. What's the call? To live up to who we are. To walk as children of light, to please and glorify God, to hate sin, and to glorify Christ as our all in all. Oh, that's all, right? And look, God will use us for His glory. And perhaps, as we shine the light of Christ to those around us and expose them in their sin and darkness, perhaps our lost loved one will come to saving faith in Christ. Perhaps our lost brother or sister will come to saving faith in Christ. Perhaps our lost friend will come to saving faith in Christ. Perhaps because God uses means to bring the lost to himself. And I'm filled with hope for my lost friends and lost loved ones because I serve a mighty God. I serve a powerful God. So shine, shine brightly, shine boldly, and let's see what God does for his glory through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to, Lord, Lord, to shine brightly and to never give up hope. Help us to pursue the things that honor you because we love you. And the God-honoring life is the best life. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you. I pray that they would surrender to you, that you would turn their heart, that they would surrender to you and be saved today, right now. All they need to do is call out to you in saving faith and they will be saved. For the rest of us, Lord, give us passion, give us heart for your glory. May we live up to who we are more and more and may we shine. Bless us now in Jesus' name, amen.